Live from WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, January 30th, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, insight on why Northwestern women's basketball games are dwindling in attendance. A segue into what stands behind Northwestern's Lipstick Theater stand-up show. As Valentine's Day approaches, a look at a previous episode on collegiate single life. And this week's round of the B-List, covering the newly released Avatar 2 and Coldplay, among other topics. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Northwestern women's basketball games experience dwindling attendance with lack of school-provided transportation. Izzy Pereja has the story. It's a cold and snowy Wednesday night as the Northwestern women's basketball team prepares to take on Chicago State. The band booms and the cheerleaders smile and wave toward the stands as the players warm up. A perfectly executed show of school spirit. The only problem is, the stands are almost completely empty. Where are the students? The student attendance for Northwestern's men's basketball games recently hit an all-time high, reaching 1,511 students at the game against Rutgers on January 11th, according to a post made by the official Northwestern men's basketball Twitter account. However, women's basketball games are struggling to see even close to the same support from our student section. I was able to see this firsthand when I attended their home game this past Wednesday, January 25th, where I found that I was one of four students in the student section. I talked to two other attendees, Medill sophomore Maggie Rose Barron and Weinberg sophomore Tess Wagner, to get more insight on why this may be. How often do you attend Northwestern women's basketball games? I would say pretty often, whenever I can get to them, this year. I've been to, I would say maybe four or five. I'd say more often than most people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've probably been to three or four this year so far. So what's the problem? For one, Northwestern tends to provide transportation for women's basketball games much less frequently than they do for the men's games. The Northwestern Student Game Day Transportation and Parking page lists scheduled shuttles for seven men's home games this season, not including the shuttles scheduled later for games like Rutgers versus Northwestern. On the other hand, only four women's home games have scheduled shuttles so far. This poses a number of obstacles for those who want to show support for our women's team consistently. I took the inner campus today and I'm taking a safe ride home. I think women's games are not as accessible as men's games. Um, they're never buses and I'd like to get to more games but I don't because there are no buses. (laughs) I feel like half the time I've walked um, because there haven't been any buses especially there was a game Sunday and there was no 201 running Um, so yeah either I take the 201 bus or I walk. It's definitely so much worse for women's games. Um, You there's not like an easy way to get there like you have to figure it out yourself and you know it's easier for me because I live further north so it's only like a 20 minute walk but if I were 
living on South Campus, um, and it would take like 40, 45 minutes to get there, there's no way that I would be making it all the way up, to, up there to those games. The transportation options available are quite discouraging. The CTA 201 bus rarely runs past 8.30 p.m. during the week, and only on Saturdays during the weekend. The inter-campus shuttle appears at each stop once every hour, and the walk from the Welsh Ryan Arena to the northmost point of campus totals to about 25 minutes. This, in combination with Evanston's notoriously brutal winter weather and students' typical busy schedules, makes the idea of attending a women's basketball game without shuttles less than appealing for even the most dedicated of fans. It takes more time and effort that you have to put into it, which shouldn't be the case because it's just going to a sports game. It definitely demotivates me going to the games, especially when it's cold out. Although the men's team boasts a better record and more successes compared to our women's team this season, the lack of buses for women's games seems to be a trend that extends beyond just this year. I had the same problem last year. There were nights where I'd go out and then decide not to walk the 20 minutes in the snow and the cold. I would honestly guess it's been going on for a while, um, which seems even worse considering last year and, you know, years prior to that, uh, the women's team was the team that was good, not the men's team. Both Barron and Wagner agree that scheduling shuttles for more women's games would likely increase the attendance and are hopeful that this will change in the future. There's definitely a difference, I would say, in the games. You know, there was a game uh, yesterday and uh, there was hardly any students there um, because there was no shuttle running for that game. Um, And I think they've had some games in the past where there have been shuttles, but I definitely know that those games are more attended so yeah it definitely makes a difference i think it should be more equitable between the men and women's games for wnur news this is izzy pareja moving on to arts and entertainment on friday january 20th communication sophomore shy barden directed and hosted lipstick theater's female and non-binary stand-up comedy show which featured 13 Northwestern comics. Jankna Sura takes us into Shai's process, experience, and perspective. That was sophomore Shai Bardeen the force behind Lipstick Theater's stand-up show, Ha Ha Ha, which took place January 20th in Lutkin Hall. Today, we're going to take you behind the scenes of making the show, which featured 13 female and non-binary Northwestern students. After being reached out to by Lipstick Theater to host and direct the event, Shy began prepping. She sent an email via Twist, the theater lister, and as responses trickled in, she met with the students interested to float around ideas, perform, and workshop their material. Everybody kind of came in with a specific voice, which was really awesome. But just the workshopping process was like kind of everybody giving notes and saying what they liked, uh, what they had questions on, or if anything was unclear. On the day of the show, Shai said that figuring out the show's tech, such as lighting and sound, as well as having a mic and mic stand to mirror an actual show, made everything come together, easing her tension. Going into it, I was a little bit nervous. I was like... 
I am not the authority on stand-up and, like, what is funny and what isn't, but this is exciting and cool. And, yeah, afterwards I just felt super excited, super proud of myself and of everybody in it because I feel like the show went super, super well. I'm, like, still getting a lot of, like, positive feedback on it, which is super rewarding. For many of the comedians, this was their first time performing stand-up. But for Shy, performing comedy has been an important aspect of her identity prior to arriving to Northwestern. Her journey started through a class with the Manhattan Comedy School in New York, which quickly turned into more. I started doing open mics a little bit in Brooklyn and Manhattan when I was like 16, which was like a particular experience because I was like an underage person making jokes about being underage because like, what else am I gonna talk about? I have no life experience. But and then like being approached by guys afterwards and it was just kind of like weird. Um, but I did meet some cool people through that, you know, people who were actually not creepy and, you know, would walk me back to the subway and make sure I was safe. Shai speaks of how comedy has historically been a cis and heterosexual dominated industry in the real world. But since stand up comes from a place of vulnerability, it can be even more interesting when it features a variety of people, stories and voices. People with different experiences can have different takes on things which i think that is where comedy comes from is saying something that is familiar to people in a new different way where the audience is like oh my god i didn't think about it like that when you have a, an experience that is different from what people decide is like normal or default so that you know is the white experience the male experience the cis experience the straight experience Shai says the lineup of female and non-binary comics was important to her because she cares about accessibility to the comedic arts. I really want to learn and, and figure out how comedy, particularly stand-up comedy, can intersect with performance activism and representing underrepresented voices because I think it's such an exciting genre for that because it is so personal and it is um, such a specific space that it creates. Um, in the context of live theater. As a Northwestern student, Shai not only performs stand-up through the setup in clubs in Chicago, but also performs long-form improv through Northwestern's Titanic team. For Shai, this show is likely only the first of many to come. Glad that that space was created and I'm hoping to make more spaces for, for people. So more girls, gays, and theys in comedy, please, because they're so funny. From WNUR News, I'm John Knessara. Valentine's Day is just a few weeks away, meaning a further exaggeration of love or loneliness. But some students at Northwestern see being single as a chance to explore one's independence. In this roundtable, John Ferrara sat down with six singles last November to talk all things dating, hookup culture, loneliness, and the benefits of not being in a relationship. It's fitting that today, 11-11 is Singles Day, isn't it? Inspired by Chinese tradition, all of the ones in the date represent a set of sticks standing side by side, alone. And if you're an optimist, sure, all of the ones in the date represent your individuality or something I don't know. But on this Singles Day, why not dive deeper into what it means to be single? Is it good for us? Has it taught us anything? How does it affect our college life? To help me answer these questions, I enlisted the help of some singles. They sat down with me to talk about all of this and more. Is everyone ready? Yeah. Okay, 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 lock in. Okay. All right, so here we are. 
round table, a bunch of single people, National Singles Day. So let's go around, introduce ourselves. You'll say your name very briefly about your relationship history, as in, have you dated before? If so, for how long? Who broke up with who? And also, scale of one to 10, rate how much you'd want to be in a relationship right now. One being not at all, 10 being a lot. My name is Lexi. I've been in two relationships, two official relationships. Mm. The longest one was, I want to say, three months. My desirability to enter a relationship now is minimal. It's probably like at a four. Never been dumped. Okay, shout <laughs> I, out you. Shout I out always, you, I guess. I always don't. Samantha. And I have been in three relationships, all of which were less than three months. I am a summer fling girl. Mm. I have ended two, and one has been ended for me. <laughs> <laughs> and my desire to be in a relationship right now, I would rate it about a five, because I can see the pros and cons. My name is Reese. Uh, I've been in one like more serious relationship. It was about like three months, and the ending was mutual, pre-college breakup desire to be in a relationship probably like five or six i'm virginia i've been in two serious relationships one was seven months another one was like six and a half months and i was the dumpy and the dumper and current desire to be in a relationship i'd say 10 out of 10. i'd say i'm fiending <laughs> fiending for a relationship my name is ava um, I've been in a few serious relationships. My most recent one was almost two years and it was a mutual breakup. And I'd say my desire to be in a relationship right now is probably a four or five out of 10. Sounds nice, but meh. I am Brendan. I have been in no relationships. I had like a week long situationship and that was about it. Current desirability to be in a relationship or current desire for a relationship an eight or a nine. First one, just how do you think the college experience is impacted by being single? I think being single makes college a lot easier because there's literally so much to do and it's like you have your social life, you have your friends in school and like outside activities and there's so much mental load on you that I think being single kind of alleviates a lot of that. Yeah, um, I watched my ex go through like being with me while he was in college and it just seemed really tough. It seemed like a lot on his plate, especially with a long distance relationship and trying to balance all of that. So I think that being single in college just kind of frees your mind, frees your, frees your time and lets you kind of grow as an individual before you meet someone else. I could see why being in a relationship, especially in college where it's usually a bigger community than you're used to in high school. It might be nice to have like one person to just like always be there for you and just have like a solid rock. But with that said, you can find that in friendships. I agree with Lexi. Deering is my boyfriend at this point. <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy with that. Pretty Next question. Do you think people put too much emphasis on hooking up in college? Or do you think experimenting with different types of people has a sort of utility in learning about yourself and your interests in relationships? I feel like there's a difference to me between hooking up and really experimenting and getting to know people. I think for me, hookup culture is something that can be very superficial. I think that there's a lot of getting to know people and possibly even romantic experimentation that starts off as like a platonic thing. And so I think that overall, I think that there's an overemphasis on like the superficiality that comes with and like also like the no strings attached culture that comes with hooking up.
Yeah, I'm convinced a lot of people don't actually enjoy hookup culture, and it just seems like something that we should do, um, and something that a lot of people fall into, or one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden you're pressured into a situation you don't really want. Hookup culture has a time and place, but I've noticed that sometimes people <laughs> want to participate in it in situations where it's not necessarily the safest to do so, like three shots deep in a bar. We're in gender studies class and we're talking about hookup culture and what we've realized is that in hookup culture, men are seeking to validate their masculinity by demonstrating sexual prowess, but women are seeking to validate their femininity by proving that they can be desired. And at least in like heterosexual hookup culture, it's kind of like an exchange going. I think that's a very good point. And I think that one of the reasons it might be so prevalent, especially in college, is that a lot of people haven't reached their full emotional maturity yet. And they think that having sex is the only way to validate themselves, especially coming from the male perspective. We're not really taught to be emotionally healthy, you know, like man up, do your job. With men, oftentimes it's seen as though the one way that you can prove you're a man that's societally acceptable and doesn't involve like physical violence is by hooking up with somebody. And we, you see that a lot in pop culture. It's better now than it was, but still like the guy who hooks up all the time is often seen as like the, the most important guy, like Batman and Iron Man, two of the most famous superheroes <laughs> yeah. of the past 20 years. Right. Playboy is like the third word you use to describe both of them every time. So we talked a little bit about how you think the college experience is impacted by being single, more so in theory. In practice, in the school so far, what has being single, particularly in college, taught you about yourself? Has it made you more independent, more lonely? Made you feel any sort of way? I think I've had to learn how to use long stretches of time alone without feeling really lonely because I'm an introvert and I need time alone to recharge, but without that one person to ground you and like turn to comfort you and give you the validation that someone's there if you need them, it can feel a little bit just like strange to have hours by yourself, even if you know that's what you need. There are times where I feel slightly less valuable than other people. It's just like, oh wait, this person's in a relationship and I'm not. So, so sometimes I feel like not being in a relationship inherently means that I am less valuable, less desirable, less attractive in some way than people who are, and that can hurt. But in the end, it has also helped me realize that like, look, it's not necessarily a problem with me. It's just other people don't find this as the thing they want, and that's okay. I just need to work with this and do the best I can to make sure that my life is the one I want, with or without a relationship. That I thrive on independence and that I well I think that you really need to be so secure not only in yourself but in what love you can give to another person and be like aware because being in a relationship is not just about like getting support it's about giving support and I think that it, you have to like be in a position where you're willing to give and receive so there it is for all the singles out there some pretty sage advice huh Seems like the grass is always greener, but maybe being single isn't so bad. Or maybe it is. What do I know? For WNUR News, I'm John Ferrara.
Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.25 p.m. Central Time. Another week, another B-List. WNUR News' weekly pop culture briefing is here, and Ella Barnes has all the details. Welcome to the B-List, your weekly round of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, Marie Kondo is letting her tidying slide. Avatar, The Way of Water moves up to being the number four highest grossing movie ever globally. Pedro Pascal is hosting SNL next weekend, and Lisa Loring has passed away at 64. The Queen of Clean has shared her house has gotten less tidy during parenthood. Speaking at a recent media webinar and virtual tea ceremony, Kondo said, My home is messy, but the way I'm spending my time is the right way for me at this time, at this stage of my life. The person behind the KonMari method, decluttering by tossing out anything that doesn't spark joy, no longer totally practices what she preaches. Earlier this week, James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water, became the number five highest grossing movie ever worldwide and, as expected, has now served to the number four position on the all-time highest grossing chart. In so doing, it leaves Star Wars The Force Awakens in its wake with nearly $2.075 billion in grosses globally. For Disney, the recent Avatar milestones means that the studio has released three of the top five global titles ever. Pedro Pascal has been set as the host for the February 4th episode of Saturday Night Live, with Coldplay performing as the musical guest. This will mark the SNL debut for Pascal, who is currently leading The Last of Us, HBO's adaptation of the PlayStation video games of the same name, which premiered on January 15th and has already broken multiple viewership records, with only three of the slid in nine episodes being released. Finally, Lisa Loring, who played the young Wednesday Addams on The Addams Family, from 1964 to 1966, and also appeared in As the World Turns, died Saturday of a stroke. She was 64. She went peacefully with both her daughters holding her hands, her daughter Vanessa said. She survived with her two daughters, Marianne and Vanessa. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what's happening this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm Ella Barnes. And now, a look at the weather. Bundle up. Temperatures will drop down to 1 degree Fahrenheit into tomorrow morning, boating for slick roads and frigid commutes. Winds will hang around 10 miles per hour throughout the week. And only this weekend will we see temperatures shooting up into the 30s again. Precipitation is expected to remain minimal for this forecast. Taking a look at the headlines. A Friday evening house fire in Evanston injured one and displaced two. Fire crews responded to the 800 block of Gray Avenue around 6 p.m., and the flames were extinguished within 20 minutes. Officials are working to determine a cause. Near Chicago's Shedd Aquarium, the body of an unidentified man was recovered from Lake Michigan yesterday. Detectives are awaiting autopsy results. No other identifying information has been released at this time. The Memphis police chief has disbanded the unit responsible for the death of Tyree Nichols. The chief cited newly released video showing members of the, quote, Scorpion, unquote, unit fatally beating the black motorist. Ukrainians gathered at Kiev's St. Sophia's Cathedral yesterday to mourn the loss of an evacuation volunteer. Dual New Zealand-British citizen Andrew Bagshaw 
was killed while trying to evacuate citizens from a frontline town. Friends and fellow volunteers commemorated Bagshaw by sharing memories of his bravery. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Erica Schmidt, and our reporters are Izzy Pareja, John Knasura, John Ferrara, and Ella Barnes. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Iris Swarthout. Catch our next newscast on Wednesday, February 1st at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.